Excuse me. Yes? I think I recognize you. Are you John? John Bobsled? John John Bar? I'm John Bershad. Oh, oh, fuck. I, you wouldn't, you, you definitely don't remember this, but I, th- I think we did a podcast together once, a, once upon a time. Veronica, is that you? Yeah, yeah, Veronica. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm the one who hates all the Marvel movies or most of the Marvel movies. Veronica, you got in the time machine and you, you hit a wrong button and you vanished for months. It's 2022 now. Oh, oh my God. Are you sure? I just I, I just kept going on with my life and all of a sudden, you know, the grunge trends were back and I was kind of excited. So you're telling me I was really in the 90s? No, no, no. The grunge 90s trends are gone. Haven't oh. you seen like uh, 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 have you seen um, like Willow Smith's punk band? We're in the early 2000s now, but in 2022, but because things are cyclical in 2002. Oh, that made perfect sense. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, you wouldn't want to like resume our podcast now that we're on the same timeline would you is that is that crazy i mean it's been a while we've we're probably really rusty which would lead us to do some kind of rambling intro that doesn't make any sense and isn't that funny but yeah fuck it let's do a best of 2021 Welcome to Box Office Time Machine. Wow, it's been a while. It it sure has. Uh, But then again, I'm pretty sure we opened like maybe the last episode or the one before it by saying, wow, it's been a while. (laughs) That's true. But I mean, you know, we were right then and we are right now. (laughs) (laughs) Time means nothing, which is why in February 2022, we're doing a 2021 best of you know what i always say as long as you get that that best of before you file your taxes you can still do it i think that's the recommended irs way of making top 10 lists at the end of the year so i think we're all good yeah yeah and i will be uh, filing my taxes while we do this so okay. if you hear a bunch of receipts rustling it's because i need to i need to write some things off Oh, boy. I hope it's not your expenses of having wasted some money watching these movies that we're about to talk about. Oh, my God. Could I claim every movie we saw for this podcast as a business expense? I mean, I suppose like it would not be. Unfortunately, a lot of them were streaming because we were still stuck inside in 2021. That thing we weren't supposed to still be doing. Yeah. And I mean, now we are. Also stuck inside, so things. Yeah, who knows? Have stayed. The Life same. will never get better. <laughs> no. Oh boy. On that note, I'm John Brashad. I'm Veronica Yarovsky, and we are here to count down our favorite movies of last year, 
our least favorite movies of last year. And then we are here to like sprinkle around some superlatives about random shit that we thought about movies. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good description. Yeah, we we are going to do a, a whole bunch of talking about a whole bunch of movies, mostly good. But you know what? Before you get to the dessert, you have to eat. Your terrible, <laughs> terrible superhero Zack Snyder salad. I don't oh. think that analogy makes sense. What I'm trying to say is, let's do the bottom five first. Sounds good? So, sounds amazing. Let, let's get this over with, as they say in the business. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I guess uh, I can start this one and maybe you can start the next one. Uh, and I will start with... A box office time machine episode. I'm not going to say favorite. Uh, Wrath of Man. That was a movie that we saw. I believe that was our first movie back last time around. That was the first movie I saw in the movie theaters (laughs) after the, well, during the COVID pandemic, but after being locked out for a year, for a year, first movie I saw back in the theaters, Wrath of Man. Yeah, I I struggled to come up with reasons why I did not like this movie. I consulted mostly my letterbox for these ratings, <laughs> uh, and apparently I did not enjoy it. I vaguely remember that it was because how aggressively macho it was, um, but I can't be sure. Now, I remember the dialogue being insane and terrible. Oh, but- yeah. Yes, it was a lot of people talking highfalutin, but saying nonsense gibberish. Mm. And you know what? That's pretty similar to my fifth worst movie. Great this segue. is a thank you. This is a, a, a massive, massive drop off. I don't think I've ever had a uh, writer director go from my top five to my bottom five oh, in sec- in back to back years. But sorry, Chloe, <laughs> Chloe Zhao, <laughs> Eternals. Oh, I haven't even seen it since we did not record this podcast during the time that it came out. So I was able to avoid all Marvel movies. Yeah, and I'm I'm going to have a little more to say about Marvel, perhaps later in this podcast. Um, but the Eternals is who it's a mess. It's an absolute mess. Um yeah, it's it's a, some good ideas, some stupid ideas, and then just a bunch of nothing tying it together. <laughs> and so in the end, it is just pretty boring. Well, the Eternals. Well, for once, it seems like the audience agreed with you because it. I think this is the lowest earning Marvel movie in quite a long time. Which yes, I, I would since, assign to the pandemic, but then again, Spider-Man is like the highest movie, the highest grossing movie ever. So who knows? Yeah, it, it, this movie did not make a ton of money. I mean, it did. F- it did fine, though. Everyone expected the critics would like it and the audiences would hate it. But instead, the critics hated it and the audiences went, you know, whatever. Let's. <laughs> What's give me the next Marvel thing? It's okay. It's fine. Life has no meaning. <laughs> <laughs> I have 
gone so down on Marvel in 2021. And again, I'll talk about that a little more later. But let's get to the fourth worst movie of the year. What's your... Oh, I guess I started off. Uh, you well, can start it off, yeah. It's Marvel adjacent. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is a Sony movie with a Marvel property. This is Venom 2. Venom. Or Venom colon Let There Be Carnage. I think that's the uh, subtitle. I'm not looking it up. Uh, Andy Circus <laughs> directed this one. And... Uh, 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 devoted listeners of this podcast will remember that we did an episode on the first Venom and didn't think it was that bad. I had and we're fun. actually genuinely excited for a second one because mm-hmm. we thought, wow, maybe they could take all the silly stuff from this one, all the goofy fun stuff, and and really lean into that in a sequel. Um, I think they kind of did, but forgot how to make any of it funny or charming. This... <laughs> Uh, uh, I hate that I'm going to keep saying a mess over and over again <laughs> in this section of the podcast, but also a bit. All I'll say is one of the most charming elements of Venom 1 is that uh, Eddie Brock's, uh, the main character, Tom Harding's uh, ex-wife is played by Michelle Williams, and she has a new husband. And in tons of movies, that character would be an annoying jerk. He'd be a, a oh that she doesn't shouldn't be with him she should be with Venom, uh, but instead they made this guy just a real charming sweetheart. Yeah. And then in the second one, they made him an a, annoying jerk who just goes, "You can't hang out with Venom anymore." Like <laughs> they ruined one of the <laughs> one good things about the first. It sucked. Venom two sucked. Sorry, guys. Yeah, I I was, as you said, looking forward to seeing it. And then I was traveling while it was out and just never felt the need to pick it up again because of all the reviews that have been pretty bad. So I guess I'll avoid. I realize there's a flaw in us doing the podcast like this and doing the bottom five first is that (laughs) I feel like I'm coming across very negative. (laughs) We're getting to the top top for 10 later yeah no this is like you know this is an origin story first things are bad oh yes this is act one this is very much act one exactly well i don't know what the act two uh all hope is lost moment will be i guess if if our internet gets bad (laughs) all hope will be lost then well speaking of uh very good story arcs that have a beginning middle and an end and a satisfying conclusion uh, the movie, uh, at my number four is Mortal Kombat. <laughs> uh, oh. a Mortal Kombat movie without a Mortal Kombat tournament. That's really all I'm going to say about it again, because we talked about it in, truly, I would say, a quite fun episode of Mortal, of Box Office Time Machine. Yeah, that's all I have to say about Mortal Kombat. So moving on to number three. I guess this might be slightly controversial because I definitely know many people who have really enjoyed this movie. But my number three pick is Zola. Uh, Oh, wow. I really did not like that movie. I I just like aesthetically, I it made me feel icky, which maybe is the point. I did not find any of the characters worth rooting for, like. The protagonist, like none of them, I just, I don't know. I had a very unpleasant, like, 
uh, hour and a half watching Zola. I don't know what this movie really was trying to say, to be honest. Uh, and yeah, it was kind of a I, missed opportunity in my opinion, because I, I did read the, you know, the Twitter thread, the Twitter thread. I even read the Reddit thread of Stephanie, uh, quote unquote, Stephanie. And so I was looking forward to that movie, but it was just like, yeah, it was bad <laughs> in my opinion. I I get that. I, I actually like that movie quite a bit. I did think it was flawed. I thought uh, the pacing was a little weird. Um, uh, the, the last third feels very rushed. And I did. I actually wish they had used more of the uh, Twitter narration. But I, I did like it overall. However, um, I get your feeling because I a movie that I won't be talking about uh, uh, on anywhere else on the list. So I might mention it, but a movie that clearly wants you to feel bad and I did feel bad so much that I didn't enjoy it was bad luck banging or loony porn so I I totally get the feeling of like <laughs> you've succeeded movie you've made me feel unpleasant right exactly it just felt like at times like you say like it didn't use the uh narration from like the tweets as much but i feel mm -hmm. like it did feel the need to really adhere to the thread itself in terms of plotting which i feel was to its detriment because i don't know that it necessarily was plotted in a way that made for a satisfying movie to be honest um mm -hmm. so yeah anyway that wasn't my three what's yours well, my number three is actually the number two in an <laughs> epic film trilogy. Uh, the first part I liked quite a bit. And this is so we're doing the superlatives of biggest disappointment. And I had a lot of options. And this one was close. But what the heck happened here? My number three is Halloween Kills. Aww. What happened? What happened? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I know that evil died tonight. Clearly that happened. <laughs> but who boy. Yeah. Everything that was good about the 2018 Halloween, the same cast and creative team came back and did none of it. Mm -hmm. uh, this was an unpleasant nonsense movie that seems to both with that seemingly has the moral that vigilante mobs are bad unless you do them correctly, which is an interesting <laughs> <laughs> message. But yeah, this was this was a a, a, a rough watch because boy, I every, every every minute it just went longer and longer, and I went, oh no, this is this is a this is really bad. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was another movie that we saw uh, for the podcast or whose prequel we saw for the podcast mm -hmm. that I really enjoyed. Uh, so, and another movie that I haven't actually checked out this time around because the reviews were so bad. My only guess is that, um, uh, uh David Gordon Green and, um, Oh my, uh, Danny McBride had a two movie plan. And then after the success of 2018, they went, yeah, we 
can stretch this into um. three movies because I like that's the only thing I can imagine because this really is just a part two where nothing happens. Mm, that's so basically it's a lost season two <laughs> of it, Halloween. This would be like uh, um, if uh, the Empire Strikes Back instead of being what you know about The Empire Strikes Back, was just two hours of the character of the rebels in Hoth packing up to escape. Mm. Now, having seen that movie for the first time this year, I understand your reference. <laughs> oh, good, good, good. Um, good. I guess I'm going to go on to number two and... <laughs> I'll I'll talk about this later when we get to our biggest disappointment spoilers and you've already talked about it quite a bit Mortal Kombat do, do, yeah. do, 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 do. <laughs> I, I I'll talk about it more in biggest disappointment I'll just leave it there <laughs> Oh that is very fair Uh yeah let's 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 put you in a sense of anticipation Much like the movie Mortal Kombat did. Yeah, and Uh, then I'll never talk about it. That'll be just like like that movie. Exactly. Uh, Well, my number two was uh, another box office time machine episode. Uh, It was Godzilla versus Kong. Oh. I mean, if you were to ask me whether I liked Godzilla versus Kong more than Mortal Kombat... uh, I don't know, or the other way around, I don't know that I would have a definitive answer, to be honest. But according to Letterboxd, I liked it less, which is why it's number two. Uh, I I just remember, what I do remember is that it was, for the most part, just a bunch of CG monsters fighting each other <laughs> with zero stakes and some, you know, very bare bones plotting involving any human involved in this movie. Uh, and so that is why it's my number two. Now, I, I for the most part, I, I do agree with you. I remember in the episode, my big thing was, couldn't they come up with a reason for the two to fight? Um, but <laughs> but I, I did. This is the second of your bottom five that I actually kind of enjoyed. So that's fair. Shocking. I mean, Shocking. that's good. That's a good variety for our listeners. You can there be you a go. John. You can be a Veronica. You can be a little mix of both. <laughs> as long as you, but everyone has to hate Mortal Kombat. Yes, as long as we do that, we're good. <laughs> uh, I I feel like, though, my number one pick would probably be the most controversial because it's oh legitimately my goodness. on. It's Citizen Kane. Yes, exactly. It's legitimately on a ton of people's best of lists, but I truly detested it. Uh, it is a memoria. Uh, the art mm. movie that just keeps on going and going and going and going. Now, uh, it starts off very interestingly. Uh, Tilda Swinton hears a bang in the middle of the night that seems to be diegetic to the world. Like you hear sirens and things. But then it sort of becomes a mystery whether it actually was a thing that only she heard or perhaps um, uh, maybe she is imagining things and she goes on on a journey to kind of first recreate that sound that she keeps hearing over and over again and then sort of find out the deep truth of the universe that uh, lies below. 
uh, I truly was bored <laughs> to tears <laughs> watching that movie after the first maybe 30 minutes. Everything was so painfully slow. I don't normally do this like ever, but I was like checking my phone at the end because uh, it just like kept going and going. The ending made absolutely no sense. But then again, I was on my phone, so maybe it was perfect. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I just it is the kind of art film that I despise. <laughs> and, and so it would have to be my number one. Now, I, I haven't seen that yet because I wasn't able to get out to whatever random alleyway behind a shopping mall <laughs> that it's currently playing in for five minutes at a time before you have to run to. <laughs> the joke is that it had a weird release schedule. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it was available only for one week only and only at IFC. And uh, its director is saying that uh, it's never going to be released to home video. So... I guess the director don't, doesn't want people to see his movie, which is, again, the kind of art movie bullshit that I detest. So, Well, my number one is a movie that many people can watch because it premiered on Netflix. <laughs> it is the true masterpiece, Army of the Dead. Oh. Fuck that movie. That movie <laughs> made me so angry. It's... A zombie heist movie that mm -hmm. has none of the things that you like about either zombie movies or heist movies. It's a <laughs> dumb, fun premise that in no way wants to have fun. It's filmed in a way that makes it impossible to watch. <laughs> and for no reason, there's a whole storyline about ICE agents sexually harassing refugees. Oof. Fun. Uh yeah this 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 fucking sucked I I plopped this on I think we did an episode of this I I popped this on because I was like this will be dumb fun and I want to get I I've said some some mean things about Zack Snyder in the past I think this will this will be one that I'll enjoy we'll be on the same wavelength and I just got angrier and angrier <laughs> and I was watching it with my friend and my friend just kept going what did you expect and I was like not this <laughs> uh awful awful. <laughs> Yeah, I, I again, another movie that was kind of curious to check out, but then you kind of steered me away from it. And thank you so much. <laughs> well, listener, if you if you if you want to desperately steer her back, uh, don't. You're wrong. It's a bad movie. Um, <laughs> uh, is that it? Or is that our bottom five? I believe that is our bottom five. That's a wrap Yay, for bottom five. Boo, boo those movies. Boo to boo. those movies. Bah, bah, do better bah, bah. next time. <laughs> yep. Do better next time in Army of the Dead 2. Oh, wait, there was. There was a spinoff that didn't even have zombies in it. Good God, no. Um, Did it have uh, uh, abusive border patrol agents? It was a spinoff entirely focused on the most obnoxious character from the original who Zack Snyder clearly thought was cool and funny. Wow. His taste could not be more divergent from mine. <laughs> it's just baffling. Um, but hey, 
Before we get to our fun top 10, let's do some of our negative, <laughs> negative superlatives. We'll get to scene of the year and performance of the year and all that stuff first, but let's do our downer, downer superlatives first. Yes. Veronica, would you like to start us off with biggest disappointment? Uh, sure. My biggest disappointment was House of Gucci. <laughs> oh. I, I will say that my the reason I'm disappointed is not because I wanted uh, a good movie. I wanted no. a really bad movie. I wanted makes sense. I wanted everyone to be on the same wavelength as uh, as Jared Leto, who as as Alien Kalen I think said on their podcast plays the man on every pizza box. Uh, uh, as a tribute to Elliot <laughs> Kalen, I'm going to point out that you mispronounced his name. <laughs> Isn't it Alien Kalen? You said Alien Kalen. I did not say Alien, did I? Do you pronounce Elliot Elliot? Oh, what did I say? Elliot! Anyway, you can <laughs> you can edit all of this out, right? How, why no, did I I'm keep it alien? in Alien Kalen? Alien Kalen. All right. Well, I'm fucked up. <laughs> anyway, not as much as House of Gucci by not having all of their actors to emote like their caricatures of Italian people, if, since that is something they decided to do. Uh, and still having some actors pretend to be in a prestige movie, which they clearly were not. Uh, this movie is way too long for being just, for the most part, a semi-boring biopic with kind of interesting parts. Uh, but I was disappointed that it did not just go for it. Yeah. Well, my biggest disappointment, unfortunately, there were a lot of options here. There were a <laughs> bunch of movies, particularly in the second half of 2021, that I was really fucking psyched for. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them really let me down. Uh, Halloween Kills would be one of them. Um, uh, and then in many ways, my biggest disappointment was uh, the new Candyman film because it mm. had so many great ideas and yet it just didn't work as a movie. And honestly, even just talking about it like depresses me because it was so close to me loving it and that it just didn't work so i don't want to talk about it so let's have fun my <laughs> biggest disappointment is mortal Kombat. what the fuck <laughs> like <laughs> what were they i mean i know what they were thinking they're thinking this has to be a franchise so let's save the tournament to the sequel but yeah i mean you you guys can listen to the episode we did on this i was so excited to just watch a fucking fighting fighting uh, tournament movie and neither of the movies that i thought were going to give me that this or shang chi they both failed horribly <laughs> That's why you complained about King Kong, Godzilla versus King Kong or King Kong versus Godzilla, whichever it was. But that movie, it gave me King Kong versus Godzilla three That's different true. times in three different variations. <laughs> Mortal Kombat gave me very little combat, barely any mortality. Actually, that's not true. A bunch of people died. It just sucked. I can't do a clever thing with a title. It was just a bad, disappointing movie. The bar was so low, and it still tripped over it, fell on top of it, spread eagle, cracked its testicles across the bar. The ball shot up 
into its body and up into its throat, and then Mortal Kombat choked on the balls. And I think that is a fatality from one of the game. But if not, it should be. I hate this movie. (laughs) Oh, wow, John. That was brutal. Should I say finish him? And by him, I mean the Mortal Kombat movie, I guess. I don't know. Um, I'm going to do that really annoying thing uh, that people used to do playing Mortal Kombat and not finish him and just stand there until it collapses. Ooh. I'm not going to do a fatality. I'm not going to do a punch. I'm just going to stand there until that movie falls apart. Because I lied. I didn't hate that movie. It was just so disappointing. <laughs> Army of Dead. I Army of the Dead. I hated this movie. Was just. I just don't know what were they doing. I mean, just we might get to. I have a combat. It might surprise us in the second one. It could be the reverse of all these sequels we were disappointed by. Maybe that tournament is going to be amazing. You know, I mean, you might be right, but I like like it doesn't deserve us watching it. Oh, of course It'd not. Be like, <laughs> I was just trying to be nice. <laughs> I know, but like, I if it gets if the if the second one is everything I want, and it gets great reviews, I'm gonna feel so loath to watch it. Um, you know what? I take that back. Because I'm going to mention a movie that's kind of similar to that exact comeback story later in this podcast. And I'll bring it up when it happens. That's Biggest Disappointment. Now we're going to move on to good scene in a bad movie, right? You you, you already went with Biggest Disappointment, right? Yes, I did. Yes. All good. right. So what is All your right. good scene in bad movie? I have a tie. Well, no, I'm going to put one on top, but I'm going to cheat and mention the other. I was considering putting the genuinely amazing uh, uh, mirror dance sequence in Last Night in Soho. Mm -hmm. Um, Just a truly impressive piece of filmmaking in a movie that doesn't deserve it. Um, (laughs) But as as I found that movie, that scene more fascinating. There is another scene in a... Pretty bad movie that just gave me absolute delight and joy. And that would be the trush, the uh, trush, the truck (laughs) crash scene in Resident Evil, colon, Welcome to Raccoon City. Is that a video (laughs) game? Is that a movie? That is a movie that came and went. Oh, wow. Um, (laughs) It was a reboot of the Resident Evil series. Um, Now, I love the Resident Evil video games, and I was also very high when I saw this. So... (laughs) Two big caveats. Take this with with a grain of salt. But I, I enjoyed... A lot of things this movie was trying to do. It didn't work. The last half is terrible. But in the first half, there is some fun stuff of taking fun scenes from from the move from the video games and just sticking them in there. But this this one moment was a true original. <laughs> and in this scene, um, one of our too many heroes because they tried to do the plots of three games in one movie. Um, <laughs> one of our, our too many heroes, uh, Leon S. Kennedy, who's nothing like him in the games, but I don't give a shit if you care about that. You shouldn't. Um, <laughs> Leon S. Kennedy is sitting at the desk, the front desk of the Raccoon City Police Station. He is listening to 
headphones. Now these are old shitty headphones because for some because re- they choose to set this movie in I believe 1996 or eight. I can't remember. Whenever the games are supposed to be set, I think 98. And um, so somehow, even though he's listening to a terrible old Walkman, he does not hear a giant truck crash in a fiery explosion <laughs> six feet outside the door. <laughs> That's insane. It makes no sense. But I don't care because it gives us the beautiful moment where as the silly 90s pop song he's listening to, I forget which one it is, hits its crescendo, the zombie truck driver strolls into the front door fully in flames and just walks up to him while he's still sleeping and almost kills him before, well, I won't spoil what happens. Uh, He's saved. You don't need to see this movie. If you like the games and you're high, go see it. But you don't need to. Uh, uh, Donald Logue saves him. But uh, it is such a delightfully silly visual. And it gave me great enjoyment. And I I giggled quite loudly in the movie theater. Wow. So this was a a movie theater journey for you. I saw this in a movie theater by myself. I was on a little vacation. Uh, Well, I not really a vacation. I was uh, visiting L.A. where I'm I'm going to be moving. (gasps) And I um, had some time to kill during the day one day. And I wanted to practice driving around Los Angeles. So I saw this was playing and I drove to it and uh, I watched it by myself. Wow. L.A. sounds yeah. fun. <laughs> uh, to be clear, um, I did mention that I was very high. I got high when I got to the theater. And when I was in the dispensary, I told him that um, I can you give me a joint that will uh, make me high for about an hour and a half. And you know what? Legal weed's great. The guy gave me a joint that did just that. Wow. He, that's like magic. Very impressive. That is very impressive. Don't drive and do drugs. All right. Now that the PSA section is over. uh, (laughs) uh, So my good scene in a bad movie is a movie I already mentioned. Uh, It is uh, Zola, actually. Uh, I Mm. really enjoyed the... So as we mentioned earlier, uh, the whole movie... Uh, is kind of told from the perspective of a Twitter feed that was uh, written by our protagonist. Uh, And then, uh, but very briefly, it cuts away and it goes into the uh, the perspective of Stephanie, who's like the uh, character that Riley Keough is playing in the movie, who's like this kind of like trashy white girl. And it's kind of told in her cadence where she attempts to paint herself as like a a God-fearing Christian woman who is just there to help (laughs) the ignorant black woman. Uh, And uh, I thought it was a very clever use of like inversion, both of kind of the perspective of the movie, but also commentary on how, uh, you know, many... You know, white people who might not even assume that they're racist could try to kind of spin that story if it were told to them. So it was uh, pretty interesting to see. uh, And it was kind of like a fun little interlude in between lots of grimness. Uh, So that would be my uh, good scene in a very bad movie. (laughs) All right. 
All right. And now we've got most overhyped. You want to start this up, Veronica? And I, I already know your pick is going to be the greatest pick ever. Oh, my not God. Not overhype. Oh, so are you, does that mean that I'm supposed to now live down to your hype, right? So, <laughs> uh, anyway, I'm, I'm not going to talk about this at length again. My number one pick is, uh, or my pick is also my number one worst movie of the year. I think Memoria is... Uh, a very bad art movie that a lot of people are pretending to like, <laughs> despite contrary evidence. Uh, moving on to you. Now, I'm going to cheat. I, I am going to oh, cheat. No. I'm going to pick not just more than one movie. I'm going to pick multiple movies and some TV shows. Wow. I think it's fair because since the way this show breaks down, and you're you're the, the superhero hater and I like superhero stuff. A lot of times on this podcast, I have been defending superhero movies and talking about how great the better ones are. And so I want to take this chance uh, to say that, God, everything Marvel put out in 2021 was very bad. <laughs> I... Just, just, but just, not even just bad, just mediocre and soulless. And you could see moments where moments, um, particularly in some of the TV shows, where creativity almost seeped through, maybe at the beginning of WandaVision or like the first couple episodes of Loki. But then everything just turned into the most soulless corporate crap. <laughs> and that's... And, I I'll I'll start with the one people liked the most and the one I liked the most, which was Spider-Man. Even that movie, which for the most part was good, it was overlong and it was not it was dumb fan service. I even that I'm like, okay, but can't you just tell can't you just be a good story? Can't you just tell a good story instead of spending 10 minutes on the end on a stupid uh uh tragic ending no one cares about that can be finished i'm talking about the magic thing i'm not well i'm not gonna spoil it but like i i don't care that didn't work (laughs) no i'm not going to on the podcast whatever this podcast isn't about that but like (laughs) all of them um black widow uh shang chi the eternals and even uh, and and all the TV shows, they were all so disappointing. And I have said a, a number of times on this podcast, I've pointed out the Marvel product that transcends um, the the genre. And there have been a ton of moments. I've talked about how incredible I thought uh, the one-two punch of Infinity War and Endgame were. But this this was just a year, and they. Part of it was they pumped out so much because yeah. everything they were going to pump out in 2020 came out in 2021. And just the fact that so much came out and I didn't like any of it. Oh, boy. I don't know if I will be going to the theaters to see what they've got coming up next. They have I mean, really, John, truly lost me. You famously said that at the end of Infinity War, which is a movie that I think even I enjoyed. But I was like. This is good. I am done with Marvel. <laughs> like well, I've seen the it's end. It's exactly what I feared. Exactly what I feared is that after that heights, they wouldn't find, they wouldn't be able to find um, 
Well, I worried that they wouldn't be able to find like characters that w- would be as enjoyable. And that's really not it. It's I feel the corporate machinations so much more. It nothing feels like a story. Mm-hmm. Nothing feels like just a movie with a story. Everything just feels like shuffling the pieces around so we can like and that with a teaser for the last one. I mean, wait, uh. Oh, God, there was an example where they did the thing that I like they used to be good at this and DC was bad at it of like just putting, you know, Batman v Superman just has literal trailers for future movies in the middle of its plot. Um, Marvel used to be good at this. And now. No, no, this this was this was bad. Overhyped. (laughs) Overhyped or biggest disappointment, whatever you want to give it to. I don't care. But yeah, Marvel really lost me in 2021. Oh, well, it will miss your tiny, tiny drop in their giant, giant (laughs) sea of money. But I hope you stand by it this time. Well, I guess if we, you know, we will have to keep watching this on the podcast anyway. So perhaps none of us can really leave. But I... Sure would like to. <laughs> well, guys, shake it off. Shake off the negativity. Shake it off. Get rid of it. It's time. It's time to talk positive. It's yes. time to do our top ten. Now, we are going to talk at length about our top five. But before we do that, we're just going to list our our bottom of the top. Our t- tenth place through sixth place of our top ten. Yes. Um, Veronica, why don't you give your 10 through 6? All right. Uh, So my number 10 was Pig, uh, the Nicolas Cage uh, Who Took My Pig movie. Uh, (laughs) I would say this movie is really not a revenge movie about someone taking your pig, which was why was very surprising. And it was a lovely movie about the power of food to change people's lives. Uh, and also about some cooking weirdness. But for the most part, it was beautiful and great. And I really loved it. Uh, uh, my number nine pick is Come On, Come On uh, with Joaquin Phoenix as sort of like a uh, a single uh, uncle to a boy that he almost never sees who he gets to hang out with for a short while while the boy's mom, his sister, is away Uh, taking care of the kid's dad. I thought it was so sweet. And Mike Mills accomplished the, to me, almost impossible of making a kid, a precocious kid, not super annoying. So I I really uh, felt for this movie and thought it was lovely. Uh, Number eight, Woodstock 99, colon, peace, Mm. love, and rage. Uh, I saw this movie twice in the span of two days. Uh, (laughs) I really, I mean, this was kind of a movie really hitting my sweet spot of when I was super into MTV and into many of the bands depicted, but yet not mature enough to actually realize kind of how awful many of the things surrounding those bands were. And so this doc to me played somewhat like a horror movie uh, very effectively, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, My number, uh, where are we now? Seven, right? 
seven uh, yep. is Dune. Dune is great. I did not understand Dune for a second. I could not pretend to explain to you anything. But I will say that seeing huge ships rising from the sea, very slow motion and flying over things uh, at the IMAX was wonderful and i enjoyed every minute of it and i'll be back for however many sequels they choose to make as long as there are giant ships flying over giant cities uh keep going denis uh and my number six is barb and star go to vista del mar (laughs) that movie was such a delight uh I mean, speaking, I guess, of like surprises, that could have been one that I had chosen for that category, too. Uh, I just living in the mind of Kristen Wiig uh, is almost always a delight for me, unless she is doing a bunch of recurring characters on SNL. So but whenever she attempts to do something original, nine times out of ten, it really tickles my funny bone. And she's back with Annie Momolo, who uh, she wrote Bridesmaids with. Uh, they play two middle-aged women who are like average women who just want happiness and to find love and still be great friends. Uh, and I don't know, that movie was so sweet and funny and weird and had delightful songs. And I feel like it really did not get any sort of traction with at least like film media. And it's kind of a bummer because that movie was pretty good. Pretty great. All right. All right. Here's my 10 through 6. Coming in. Coming in. I'm already fucking that up. (laughs) Coming in at number 10, we have Wes Anderson's The French Dispatch. Uh, Wes Anderson's Ode to the New Yorker, to France, and to the magic of the people who help facilitate art. Not the artists themselves, the people who inspire it, who edit it, who publish it, yada, yada, yada. Uh, Didn't hit me on an emotional level the way that my favorite Wes Anderson's do, but it was charming and funny and had a great animated sequence um, and a a shocking amount of nudity. The French Dispatch, number 10. Number nine, uh, PTA, Paul Thomas Anderson's Licorice Pizza. I was thrilled to see uh, Anderson back in the 70s, uh, (laughs) filming stuff in the 70s again. Um, Thrilled to see him back in uh, L.A. Um, uh, Like my favorite movies of his. Sorry, (laughs) I'm basic. Um, uh, It was filled with great performances, uh, great scenes, um, performances. I would have liked it more, I think, but I, I don't know. I think I have a, a, a threshold now for uh, love stories between adults and children. But oh, wow. <laughs> with that aside, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, coming in at number eight, we have one half of the Cohen brothers, Joel Cohen's The Tragedy of Macbeth. Um, uh, this was just so cool to look at. It was just uh, on everything. I mean, I don't know what else to say. Um, it, it was cool to sound, listen to. It's a uh, uh, famous, uh, very talented actors uh, doing Shakespeare. But I, on some level, I think I would always prefer seeing Shakespeare on stage. Uh, so, like, the language just kind of rolled off me. But the visuals were truly incredible i just watching this was such an absolute delight um coming in at number 
Oh, it is hard to remember where you're at. Coming in at number seven, this is the one I mentioned earlier. The huge comeback of a movie that was terrible and a sequel that I genuinely enjoyed. So Mortal Kombat 2, you can do this. (laughs) Perhaps rename yourself The Mortal Kombat, because I'm talking about The Suicide Squad. (laughs) I genuinely enjoyed that quite a bit. Um, This was, uh, uh, oh my God, um... Oh, my James God. Gunn? Is that James Gunn. <laughs> James Gunn uh, taking the lead. Um, it's not a perfect movie, but it's just a delightful movie. The banter has been really fun. Um, there's a TV show spinoff already that he did starring John Cena's character, which I, I, I don't know is as great as the movie, but it's been a heck of a lot of fun to watch. I just enjoyed being in this silly, goofy world. The Suicide Squad was great. Um, next up, this is the movie that I keep having to remind myself is a 2021 movie because <laughs> it feels like it came out forever ago. This is Shaka King's Judas and the Black Messiah. I might have put that on my top 10 from last year. I honestly don't remember. I guess I didn't because it came out. This came out in February of last year. How is that possible? It so feels like a 2020 movie. But no, it came out in 2021. Um, a great film. Incredible performances. Um, yeah. Judas and the Black Messiah. It's great. Uh, I wish I could say more, but I feel like I saw it 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the fact that it was like also nominated for an Oscar last year. Yeah. Yeah. I, the way they released that movie was kind of weird. But also well, that's OK. That year to make up weird. for it, I'm going to do a what's ostensibly a 2022 movie in my uh, in my top five. So. It's okay. <laughs> Ooh, spoiler alert. Spoilers. Well, how about we start? John, what is your number five pick? My number five pick is a movie. Um, oh, hold on. Is uh, that how we're up- doing it? Or are we supposed to do a break first? I forgot what well, we thought, agreed on. I think we're we're doing the superlatives after number two before oh, number one. Okay, to really tease it out. Oh man, All right. this can be our break. Us going over the structure—that's the break. If you needed a break from the the last few movies, this is the break right now. You're currently breaking. All right, this is a break. The facade of a well-oiled machine <laughs> is <Yeah>. once again <laughs> ripped from this podcast, and for that, I apologize. John, please go All on. Right. <laughs> My fifth favorite movie of uh, 2021 is David Lowery's The Green Knight. Um, another movie uh, that looks beautiful. Um, I I don't know. There's just something I really like about uh, putting all this beauty and majesty in just telling a very small character piece about a uh, <laughs> about the king's like fail son nephew who's just a fuck up. Um, uh, the visuals in this movie were great. Uh, Dev Patel was great. Yeah, I liked it. I liked it quite a bit. I know we're we're supposed to be giving this more time than our other ones, but yeah, that's that's we, all I have to say. We don't have to. <laughs> Uh, I I will say that I personally did not really care for the Green Knight. I remember you saying that. Yeah, uh, but I don't want to I don't want to sully this because this is a positive bubble that we're in. Uh, so I will keep the positivity going for Red Rocket. Uh, Sean Baker's Red Rocket. Uh, that was a movie I enjoyed quite a bit. This is a movie. Speaking of disappointment, surprises. This movie I feel like. 
met the bar that is fairly high for me for his movies at this point. I just feel like uh, where I think some people might think that like his movies exploit the characters that are in his movies. I don't feel that way at all. I feel like he actually loves every character that is on screen. I feel like every character from the tiniest role to the biggest is infused with so much humanity, whether it was positive or negative, but feels very true. And I think that is the thing that uh, really pulls me towards his movies. This one, no different. The, uh, and I found it to be both hilarious, cringe at times, and kind of sad. And overall, at the end, very, very satisfying. Yeah, um, uh, uh, we didn't set this up, but if we have uh, redos on the list, we'll talk about it when it first comes up. So spoilers, Red Rocket will be coming up later in my list. Uh, yeah, I love this. I, I've uh, seen three of um, Sean Baker's movies and loved all of them. Um, yeah, this is the one out of the three I've seen. I have not seen Starlet yet. Uh, this is the one he's also made uh, The Florida Project and Tangerine. This is the one where the lead character is someone that he does seem to be criticizing yeah. in a way this is the least um uh, uh the least benevolent main character he's had um and it makes for and surprisingly his humanistic touch works on that way it makes it probably his funniest movie and the performance from former mtv vj rapper kind of porn star simon rex is excellent mm -hmm. um that that face he makes at the la in the last shot of the movie or the second to last shot i can't remember the order but his last shot uh where you can read so much into that expression ah just a great movie Wonderful movie. And if you want to read it as an entirely uh, allegory for the 2016 presidential election, Sean Baker gives you the the means to do that. <laughs> I think that's a less interesting way to watch the movie, but it might have been intended. I don't know. But uh, yeah, it's a great character study and a great movie. Yay. All right. My number four uh, is from a little known filmmaker. Um, so this was a... Uh, uh, I, this is cool. I want to make sure I pronounce the name right. Um, cause you gotta, you know, get, get, uh, get the info out for these people. So people, uh, you know, to get yeah, people, so people rely need to hear about on our them. podcast for their new filmmaker discoveries. Okay. Uh, I think I have it here. Um, so this is a guy named, uh, Steven Spielberg. And, oh, um, this <laughs> haven't heard of him. Tell me more. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's an up and comer. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, that bit can end. Um, <laughs> Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. Um, the moment this was announced, I was like, yes, I want to see Steven Spielberg direct a musical very much. And yeah, that's exactly what we got. Um, we can uh, talk till the day is done about... Uh, there are a lot of reasons why and arguments to be made that there's no reason to bring back West Side Story, that it's uh, dated in a way that that is a fatal flaw um, in its depictions of uh, the Puerto Rican characters. That's possible. I, I, I can't make I can't make a, an argument either way. I have no 
I have nothing to say on that. Um, it's po- very likely that this movie will age even worse than the original one, even though it's <laughs> well, there's no brown face. But uh, <laughs> even though it's trying so much harder to be respect, uh, respectable and respectful, that it will age worse because they should know better than to do West Side Story in 2021. That's possible. All I can tell you, though, is I still love that Leonard Bernstein music. I still love the Stephen Sondheim lyrics. The performances, for the most part, um, <laughs> I didn't think Ansel Elgart was as bad as everyone else thought. I thought he was fine. Uh, but the performances were incredible. And boy, just watching Spielberg's camera move around those dancers go in and out and up and down, watching that beautiful cinematography. Yeah, I I really wanted to see a Steven Spielberg musical, and that's what I got. And I loved it. Nice. Uh, I will say more about this movie later. Oh, my. Uh, All right. Well, my number four was already mentioned, but it was during our quick fire phase. So I did not get to talk about it. But uh, it is licorice pizza. Uh, I, too, am a big fan of Paul Thomas Anderson, uh, and I also likes it. Um, I, I guess, like, I was, I mean, now that I feel like I, maybe the, sort of the assets of this movie, which were so, uh, huge, uh, really outweighed the ick factor about... Uh, you know, the age gap between our two ostensible lovers. But I found this movie to be super charming. I found, um, what is uh, Philip uh, Seymour Hoffman's son's name? Is I forgot. Uh, Cooper? Yeah, Cooper I found Hoffman? Cooper Hoffman to be such a delight. And Alana Haim, too. I mean, it is more her story than his. Uh, and I found just sort of... The kind of the sort of traveling through L.A. movie is one of my sort of favorite sub sub genres of movie. And it was just so fun to just hang out with these characters going on all of their misadventures. Uh, I think Bradley Cooper has my favorite performance by Bradley Cooper in this movie. I think he's amazing as uh, John Peters, especially if you have ever encountered his name (laughs) before and you know who this person is. Maybe if you listen to the Kevin Smith uh, Q&A where he talks about how crazy John Peters is. Uh, So all of that was just a delight. And um, I'm anytime PTA makes a new movie, I'm so excited because, you know what? This could be my favorite movie ever. This was not that, but it was still very, very good. And I hope he makes another one very soon. All right. Uh, Moving on to number three. So should I go first? Am I going first? Um, Yes, you are. All right. Uh, So it is the worst person in the world. Um, See, I'm I'm so glad you're doing this because this was the one I thought I was cheating by putting it on the list. <laughs> oh, there's a bigger cheat coming up on my oh, behalf, oh my. so you should feel pretty pretty okay. Uh, yeah, this is a Norwegian movie um, about the titular uh, woman who could or most likely isn't the worst person in the world, even though sometimes it feels like you are when you are becoming an adult and. Uh, sort of getting into your first serious relationship, perhaps. 
and are not sure if you're emotionally ready or prepared to any of that and uh, for any of that. Uh, I felt like this movie was so like beautifully made, just like making its points in ways that are not grating and don't feel repetitive or they feel new, even though they clearly aren't because we've all been there for the most part. If we are in our mid thirties, I suppose Uh, I felt like the tone shift at the end really worked for me. Uh, and I will speak about that maybe later in one of our superlatives. And uh, so, yeah, I, I really, really like that movie. I, you know, it was probably also a, one of the biggest surprises of the year for me since I don't really know Joachim Trier's work. Uh, and so I'm looking forward to now checking out the rest of his catalog. Thank you so much for uh, uh, trying your hand at pronouncing uh, jo- Joachim, you're saying? I'm pretty sure, Joaquin. though, then again, Joaquin I pronounced Trier. it Elian uh, Kalen <laughs> before, so, but I'm pretty sure it's Joachim Trier, but who knows? Joachim Trier. Um, well, I'll just say, so my number three is Red Rocket. We already did that. So then my number two is The Worst Person in the World. Yay. Uh, yeah. I... I loved this so much. This was uh, um, I had not I had not heard about it at all until uh, started seeing it on all these top ten lists. Um, uh, uh, it's just coming out in America now. Um, somehow, Veronica and I have both already seen it, perhaps through legal screeners or a time machine. Less legal me th- a time, <laughs> through machine. A time machine. We saw it through a time machine. Um, uh, but yeah, I I saw this and I just. It is funny and heartbreaking in all the right amounts. Uh, the performances are wonderful. I'm going to I would do them more of a disservice by trying to pronounce all their names than I would be in <laughs> uh, in doing it. All right. I'll say I'll, the lead actress. Oh, boy. Renat Rinsvi. Maybe. Yeah, that Maybe. sounds right. She's great. You know what? I'll say I'll say all three, all three of the leads, because they're so good. Anders Danielson Lai or Lee and Herbert Nordrum. Um, all three of the, the main performances are great. All the supporting performances are great. Uh, uh, Rinsvi, the lead actress, is incredible. And then just the writing uh, by Trier and Iskil Vogt. I'm really ch- like, why? <laughs> I didn't need to say all the names. Uh, their screenplay is so beautiful. Um, it's so funny at the beginning. Uh, like everything you said about how it uh, tackles um, it tackles uh, the confusion of being in your 30s and not being positive what you want your life to be yet. It tackles through that um, that kind of tonal shift you mentioned. I guess you're going to speak about more just this interesting look at how we can be how we we don't maybe not don't realize the parts we play in the lives we interact with um, and how we can maybe be more important in a life than we realize and how everyone's living their own life. And all of us are all these characters. All that stuff is just beautiful. And then also just one of the most incredible depictions of ambivalence that I've ever seen on film. Um, uh, it was a t- it's at times surreal. It's at times deeply naturalistic. It's great. I love that movie. Yay. Yeah, I I was very happy that we both decided to dive into this movie and both (laughs) loved it. So 
That was good. Uh, my number two pick is another one of John's bottom. Uh, <laughs> Jones bottoms picks. I'm just picking them up and raising them up. Oh, you mean, but my bottom of the top ten, not for my bottom five. You're not going to throw uh, Venom two on here, are you? Oh, it's uh, Army <laughs> of the Dead. Is that the one? <laughs> uh, no, it is the French Dispatch. Two two. Uh, I truly love that movie. I think it was the probably. It could be that I'm overrating it because it was the first good movie I've seen in a very, very long time. It felt like almost like the gates have opened and felt like, oh, yes, finally we get to have good movies again. Uh, and we get to have a director who's at the top of his game once again. Uh, to me, uh, Wes Anderson's movies are sort of like these very delicate dioramas that are so intricately made where every part is moving yet they're all like of this one theme and uh anyway uh it felt like every frame of this movie was that basically it was just so gorgeous to look at uh it was funny it was sad uh it had a lot of weird faces made by Tilda Swinton that I really appreciated <laughs> that almost made up for her in memoria. I mean, she was fine there too. Uh, but anyway, I just, I, that movie delighted me to no end. And so it is my number two pick. All right. But you're not going to say you're number one yet, are you? No, I'm not because we rehearsed this part. <laughs> <laughs> We are now going to move on to before we, we, we've wet your whistle. We got you on the edge of your seats. We're we edging, guys. We're edging. We're you. edging. We're edging. You're going to come so hard later um, <laughs> when we do our number ones. But first, we're going to do our more positive superlatives. We did our negative ones. These are our positive superlatives. Veronica, you want to start it off with your biggest surprise of the year? Yes. Uh, my biggest surprise of the year was the aforementioned young buck Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. <laughs> um, yeah, I... I'm not a fan of West Side Story. I will say that. I I really like the music and the songs, but I never connected to the story at all. Uh, I don't necessarily think that, uh, you know, Steven Spielberg did anything revolutionary with the story itself. But the way that he directed it was so great to watch. It was so dynamic, yet he knew when to kind of stop and let, just focus on the dancing, the amazing dancing that was happening, the amazing choreography. Just every song just felt alive and exciting and gave me goosebumps when people, you know, sang those beautiful songs that I've heard a thousand times and did it so well. Um, so, yeah, I was very pleasantly surprised to really enjoy a movie. Uh that I normally am just like, eh, on. <laughs> All right. All right. My biggest surprise, this might still sound a little negative, <laughs> but my biggest surprise was not hating Don't Look Up. <laughs> oh, that that's good. Now, I, I have 
honestly never really enjoyed an Adam McKay movie that includes his silly movies, that includes his serious movies. Um, I, it's just something we're just not on the same wavelength. Goes back to Anchorman. Um, uh, so I was not excited for this. I, from the moment it was announced, could tell that the central metaphor did not work. A giant asteroid that kills everyone, including rich people and poor people, instantly at the exact same time in equal measure is not a good metaphor for the slow effects of climate change over decades. Um, uh, And the reviews were terrible. The reviews leading up to its release were terrible. So I was expecting, I was home for the holidays, I was bored, I was expecting to really not like it. And I put it on and I had a good time. <laughs> the metaphor, still bad. The satire, not great. Uh, I don't know what media landscape he thinks exists in America, but that's it's not the one he seemed to be satirizing. Um, <laughs> but it, maybe it's just that I really like movies about a bunch of characters dealing with an impending disaster. It could just be that, that I just liked it almost as a literal Independence Day style movie. But I don't know. A lot, some of the jokes really worked for me. Not all of them. Mark Rylance's character never worked. I'm saying more negative things. <laughs> you I, should say, stop. No, you know what? I <laughs> Overall, I enjoyed this movie. I really did enjoy this movie. I can see the problems. I can see the problems that everyone is pointing out. But I was shocked that I full. I gave this four stars on Letterboxd. <gasps> I had a good time watching this. That's awesome. It's always good to enjoy a movie. <laughs> yes, I want to be clear. I said a bunch of negative things, but I enjoyed watching this movie. Yay. All right. Well, moving on. Uh, how about, John, your favorite musical moment? Ooh, okay. Mine, there were a ton. I am so happy. We're getting a ton of musicals, and they're not all directed by Tom Hooper. We're getting <laughs> musicals directed by people who know what they're doing. We got a Steven Spielberg musical. Um, we got, um, ooh, I forget the name of the guy who directed uh, uh, In the Heights. Uh, same guy who directed um, Crazy, Crazy Rich, Rich Asians, Asians, I believe. Yeah. John Chu, maybe? Uh, I'm not sure. I have not now seen I it. Now I have to look it up now. God damn it. Yes, John Chu. I was right. Okay. Um, uh, a bunch of great musicals. So I, I'm sitting there. Am I going to think choose one from one of these, from one of those movies? But then at the end of the day, I think the musical scene that I'm going to remember most from this year is the very, very uh, uncomfortable piano scene from Red Rocket. <laughs> um. This, uh, it, it goes into a, a trend we've had lately, I think going back to Spring Breakers, Spring of break. characters singing, <laughs> singing along to 90s pop songs in kind of a uh, re-understood re uh, uh, version of what those songs represent. But um, in this scene, we have uh, the character of Lexi Davies. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Lexi Davies is the ex-wife. The character of Strawberry, played by Susanna Sun. Um, she is the uh, 17-year-old uh, high school student who is being groomed by our main character, Simon Rex's uh, Mikey, Mikey Saber. And at, uh, at a certain point, uh, she plays piano for him. Uh, in the nude and the camera 
holds on her nudity in a way that seems to be it is I I've never liked this thing in media where you, the artist, create the thing that you're criticizing and then seem to criticize the audience for engaging in the art you made. The showgirls effect. Yeah, video games, you see it all the time of like, we made a really violent video game and you played it. Ooh. <laughs> like, um, I've never liked that. I always found that very cheesy and dumb. But for some reason, this moment, it's beautiful and touching and scary and heartbreaking and very uncomfortable all at once. And that definitely seems to be Baker's intention and it worked for me and it's a memorable scene. So the piano, the piano, and you know what? She does a great, great rendition of the song. It sounds beautiful. Um, yeah. So the red rock of piano scene, Veronica, what you got? Well, uh, I was glad that you picked that cause I was counting on you to pick it, which is why I did not really. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but my pick is gonna come from the movie I saw twice in two days, Woodstock '99. <laughs> Let me set the scene. It is Saturday night. It's the headliner of the festival. I think it's Saturday night. I um, this might have been Friday night. I'm not sure actually. Now that I think of it, anyway, the crowd is pumped. They're ready. They're so angry. There's no water. There's everything is hot and sweaty. And what comes out but corn? Corn comes out and starts singing the song Blind in the scariest fashion I've ever seen in my entire life. I was, I mean, I was not totally sober, but it scared the shit out of me <laughs> like just seeing a sea of people just moving to the same song at once and it felt dangerous it felt evil even though i don't think corn are dangerous or evil but at the time it just felt like the id of late 90s america just like exploded uh it was such a an intense sensation for me watching that scene um Anyway, that was it. Woodstock '99, best horror movie of yeah. 2021. <laughs> it, I that wasn't on my list, but I enjoyed the movie quite a bit. It was up there, um, and yeah, that <laughs> there are a number of terrifying music. I wish I had thought of that, but then no, I'm good with mine. Um, Veronica, can you tell us your favorite movie that wasn't from 2021 that you watched in 2021 for the first time? Oh, yes. Uh, I will tell you, John, that it was Paper Moon, uh, which is, Ooh. I guess, I suppose, appropriate uh, considering uh, Peter Bogdanovich's recent passing. Uh, but yeah, uh, I... That movie is so sweet <laughs> and so funny. Uh, Tatum O'Neill is absolutely adorable. Uh, she, uh, she and Ryan O'Neill play uh, a girl who kind of tags along with this uh, con man who is trying to uh, scam her family and might or might not be her dad on his many schemes. Uh, and it's... You know, it's such a sweet movie. I, I really, really loved it. I sincerely like cried at the end of it um, and it was really, really good. So I was happy to finally watch it. 
Nice. Now, I, I, uh, for mine, I mentioned it. I've mentioned in this podcast before. One day in the spring, I just or one weekend, I just got bored and I watched. I realized I'd never watched um, the two, the second and third of the trilogy, uh, the recent trilogy of Planet of the Apes movies. Mm-hmm. And I watched Dawn of the Planet of the Apes and War for the Planet of the Apes, and they were both great. But the second one was genuinely excellent. Just truly great blockbuster entertainment, both directed by Matt Reeves. Um, yeah, I did not expect to go all in on that trilogy. Um, I, I saw the first one in the theaters years ago. I don't remember. I don't think it's as good as the other two, but I remember enjoying it. Mm-hmm. Um, but Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, that's I. why can't more big budget movies be like that? It's really good. A fun fact about me is that I was actually a script reader at the time when that screenplay was being shopped around. And I For the first one, right? For the first one, I believe. And by that I mean the one from the 60s. Uh, no, no, no. Yes. I am also a time traveler. Uh no, from uh the Scott Frank movie um or script. Uh and mm-hmm. I gave it a thumbs down. I, I did not enjoy that script. Clearly, I was wrong, and which is why, uh, well, is a reason for why I'm no longer doing that. Uh, well, have you have you uh, watched that movie? See, do you is the finished product very different from the script? Maybe I actually haven't. I should. That's a good. Uh, that's a good point. Maybe they improved you it. You could still be smart. I could you still could be still smart. Have uh, you could still have good taste? It's, it's possible. Yeah. Probably. But even then, I, I, the Rise, Rise of the Planet of the Apes was, like, fine. It was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, but Dawn of the Planet of the Apes was great. I, to be honest, I don't even remember what my problems with it were. I was just maybe bored. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, but what I was not bored with was my performance of the year, uh, which I am going to give to Olivia Coleman. In a movie that I did not talk about, it's in my other top 10. It's called The Lost Daughter, uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal's directorial debut uh, about how... Wait, what is your other top 10? Oh, it's just the, like, 11 through 20. (laughs) So I guess it's... (laughs) (laughs) It's in your top 20. It's in my top 20, is what I meant to say. You know, the other 10 that are (laughs) not the first 10. Anyway, uh... I thought Olivia Coleman did such a good job playing this woman who could be who you really want to try relating to, but she's making things so difficult. Uh, and I don't know, just like her, every little expression and every little choice worked so well. I mean, she's a national treasure. And while the movie for me, not, I mean, I still enjoyed it, but I didn't feel like it landed the ending for me. I It feels like it very much started uh, and mostly talked about how the unfairness of women, the expectation of women to be mothers and what that could potentially lead to. But I feel like its ending might not have necessarily uh, spoke to that point. Uh, but I felt that throughout Olivia Coleman was just so great uh, and so fun uh, as this character who's not great or fun. 
Uh, so yeah, I will give it to her because she's awesome. I think this is the second time that I said Olivia Coleman was my performance of the year. So I must really love what, her. What, was it for the favorite? Maybe what was the last it was time? for the favorite. Uh, perhaps. Well, she is quite good. <laughs> Hot take. However, my favorite performance of the year is going to go to Ariana DeBose from West Side Story. Ooh. Um, Yep, she plays uh, the character of Anita, and even though even though Anita is everyone's favorite character from that musical, um, th- that's there's a lot that is on her shoulders there. So, like Rita Moreno um, played her in the original film, and it's one of the great all time musical uh, performances. Rita Moreno is on set in this movie. <laughs> she was so good in the old one that they rewrote a character so that she could play it. And so you have Ariana DeBose is playing this famous character with the person who made it famous as this like specter behind her the whole time. I know I'm sure Rita Moreno was very supportive, yeah. but you know what I mean? She, she has fun. a lot on her shoulders. Then I was rewatching this and I didn't realize how much... The scene, uh, spoilers for West Side Story, and I guess <laughs> Romeo and Juliet. Um, the scene where, um, uh, oh my God, I'm forgetting when Maria, I forgot the name <laughs> Maria, they sing it 3,000 times. The scene where Maria tells her that um, she's still in love with the guy who killed her brother and uh, Anita's lover, and yet she still wants Anita's support. That's an insane scene. <laughs> that is, it requires so much, so such good acting to make that in any way make emotional sense, because it it makes no sense. <laughs> and yet, and yet, on Debose's face, I believed it. You take that. And you add in the performance of America, of course. Of course. And that's my favorite performance of the year. Oh, she was great. She was my favorite part of that movie, too. Very good. Am I pronouncing that right, DeBose? I think so. She hosted SNL. I forget how they pronounced it. She was also good there. She sang. Did they pronounce it like Ariana DeBose? (laughs) Most likely. (laughs) Uh, <laughs> yeah, shockingly, I didn't catch that one. Uh, or oh, yeah. Any episode from SNL this season or last season or the past 10 seasons, shockingly. <laughs> yeah, John Bershad, a comedy writer who does not watch Saturday Night Live. Oh my God. It's almost like none of them do. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so moving on to scene of the year. Now, I had a few that I was going back and forth with um, from the same movie. And that Mm. movie is Licorice Pizza. Hey. And I was very close, very close to giving it to the scene where Alana goes to see an agent played by Harriet Harris. Oh, that's Um, such a good scene. (laughs) I also almost gave that woman my performance of the year for this one scene. Um... She, that's the, you're a fighter, I can tell scene. 
Uh, her delivery, that scene is done almost entirely in tight close-up on that woman's face. And she's just smiling and quivering. And, oh, my God, she's so funny. However, at the end of the day, I have to go with what I think is the best moment. The moment where I'm talking about John Peter's car. <laughs> and this is a full sequence. But what I want to go with is, okay, they fuck up John Peter's house. Then they get stuck with, they try to run away, and they get stuck with him. Okay, they finally escape. So they fuck up John Peter's car. And then they realize that they don't have any gas, and the truck <laughs> is stuck next to John Peter's car. That moment is my favorite. I The whole sequence, this isn't really a scene. I guess I'm more talking about a sequence and a moment. But goddamn, that was good. If that doesn't count a scene of the year, you can go with the agent scene. But I'm going to say anything to do with John Peter's car. I mean, John Peter's, like, that whole sequence was so, so fun. It was great. I mean, also when you see He's, him, like, later on, just, like, wandering in the street randomly, that was so fun. That is... Bradley Cooper's performance, that might be, that is another part that might be my favorite part. The punchline to that sequence, he is, he comes back, he's still crazy, but then he just instantly turns around to follow two girls who are walking away. Just. So funny. Oh boy, that is a delightful performance. Yeah, I mean, he was definitely my runner up for performance of the year. I thought it was very, very good. Uh, All right. Well, my scene of the year, I have. I'm going to cheat and have three, but one of them is just going to lead to my number one movie of the year. So let's see if I can do it smoothly. Now that I explained it to you, obviously it will happen. Uh, All right. So uh, the first one that I was uh, wanted to pick was or was considering was uh, the scene from... um, uh, the worst person in the world at the end of the movie. I don't want to spoil the con- like the reason, the context for the scene, but I will say that it involves one character kind of like, as John mentioned, discussing the impact of another character on his life, but also of just uh, how we make connections in this world and how do we make connections in a digital age and how, uh, people like myself, for example, who are collectors of physical media and who use said media to sort of, I, I don't know, just like present parts of their personality through it and sort of like let people in through it. Like, how do we deal with this new world? And I I don't know. I felt like that scene was so perfect. Uh, that whole monologue was so great. Um, my second pick, which was on the more fun side, was the day in ennui uh, over the course of 250 years, which is the kind of the opening story of the French Dispatch uh, by Herbesson Césarin, which is uh, the Owen Wilson character. Uh, everything I described about the French Dispatch could be applied to the scene. It was just so fun to watch. So many visual gags. There's like a gag in every frame. Uh, and everything is just like so beautifully staged and placed and nothing is out of order. Uh, and it was very, very good. 
Now, the actual favorite scene of the year and my number one pick and the rule-breaking pick of this episode is The Beatles Get Back, (laughs) which features... I mean, I don't even know how you can call a rooftop performance (laughs) the scene of the year, but it truly was for me. Uh, Spending eight hours with the Beatles the culmination of which is finally seeing them perform these songs that you saw them uh, labor over for the past eight hours and still have them be new and fused with so much more energy and experiencing it in ways that is both way more privileged than the people of London could have experienced it at the time, yet also from their perspective in some ways was so good. Um, When they were done, I cried. (laughs) Like I felt so sad about just knowing that they never performed together again. And I'm not even a Beatles fan. I have become since watching this documentary way much of a Beatles, way more of a Beatles fan than I ever were. Uh, I think... That documentary itself is so good. It just presents them as like these big goofballs and like, uh, and it was just a delight to just see them work, see them play off each other, realize how awesome Ringo Starr is (laughs) and how like they were only in their late twenties when they were making like one of their like last works and, um, seeing Yoko Ono in every fucking scene, just sitting and like doing a crossword or knitting or just being there for no reason whatsoever. Just seeing uh, Paul McCartney and uh, John Lennon just sing to each other and clearly like feeding off each other's energy where you see how those songs were made, even like the songs you don't see being made. You kind of now know what kind of dynamic was there. Uh, Anyway, just... Great. I will. I would have watched four more hours, which apparently do exist, according to Peter Jackson. So hopefully he does release them. But it was so fun to see Get Back. <laughs> well, when he releases that second season, you can all get back to Get Back too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that was your number one movie of the year. I, you know, it's fair. Uh, a few years ago, I put OJ Made in America on my top ten, and that was also eight hours. So. <laughs> Sometimes you gotta cheat. Sometimes, Sometimes you, gotta you gotta cheat. cheat. But for my number one movie of the year, I'm not gonna cheat. Uh, I am gonna do a true, pure and simple cinematic experience. Um, in the same way Veronica took a bunch from my uh, five, 10 through 6, I'm gonna take one from hers. This is Denis Villeneuve's Dune. Yay! I love. I. We saw it in IMAX. It was just so great. Yeah. It was just just those big explosive visuals and then those close-ups on those people's faces. I just I loved it. I loved uh, uh, the crazy set design. I loved the insane uh, costumes of the Harkonnens, even though I refuse to say Harkonnens. I think that sounds stupid. They're Harkonnens in my mind. <laughs> um, uh, I liked it a bit. And it's like I don't know. You have so many stories that people describe as being uh, unfilmable. And then you watch with the absolute ease 
that they <laughs> that they uh, put uh, tell the first half of that story. Like, yeah, no one could watch that movie and be like baffled or confused. And I started reading the book. Um, I'm a hundred pages in. I, I last read it a few weeks ago. I'll get back to it, um, <laughs> but I'm 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 enjoying it, and and yeah, reading that book is like absolutely they they did such a good job of taking the parts that matter for this. It has to be a more compact story. It has to be more based around these characters' experiences in the here and now, and less about their inner monologues. That's not a. That's not me subtweeting David Lynch. I also re, I also watched the eighties version for the first, for the first time. It's not that bad. Vi- those visuals are fascinating in their own way. It just doesn't tell a coherent story, but a lot of cool visuals. But this one, great visuals and a great story. Wild soundtrack. The earth shattering bass in the theater. Uh, a bunch of great performances. Yeah, maybe it's because I just really wanted to go into a theater and see just a big, huge movie that was just good. Maybe this wouldn't have been my number one spot if there hadn't been, you know, a pandemic. I don't know. But it was. And in a year when all the Marvel movies let me down, this was a giant blockbuster that I just loved. Dune, Dune. go see it. You did. It made a lot of money. You probably saw it. Yeah, Dune was so fun. I I would love to go back and just watch Dune again. Really good. I watched parts of it. I didn't realize it was going to leave HBO Max. I I was going to watch it all again, but then I I missed my chance until it comes back in I don't know two months or whatever. Yeah, I'm sure we'll be back from the vault. <laughs> yep, it's going into the Warner Brothers vault. Yes. <laughs> Well, it's just a bunch of racist Bugs of Bunny cartoons and Dune. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it is a very interesting release cadence that they have. It's like you can watch it while it's in theaters, but only then. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the the HBO Max Warner Brothers thing didn't really work out. Uh, They just ended up pissing off a bunch of filmmakers. But you know what? As an HBO subscriber, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the only movie I ended up seeing there uh, was The Suicide Squad, which I really enjoyed. Mm -hmm. And otherwise, I I saw the movies I really wanted in theaters. Yeah, I'll say this. If we had if I had paid to go out and see King Kong versus Godzilla, I might not have enjoyed it. But watching it, and I know that's a movie you should see on the big screen, but no, that was a movie that I wanted to watch for free. <laughs> um, and as such, I enjoyed it quite a bit. That's probably not what the filmmakers intended. But yeah, I don't know. It's nice to have something that's kind of consumer friendly. <laughs> no, that is. Thank you, HBO Max, the true winner and number one service in our hearts. Yep, but not in numbers. That thing didn't work out at all. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Wow. Who boy? Who boy? Did we do it all? I think we did. I think we can stop doing it. (laughs) That's our best of 2021. Sorry we've been gone for a while. We've been lazy. Yes, but hopefully we will be back. And if we're lucky, um, it would be with the movie Moonfall. I don't know how it's yeah, doing. Yeah, I, I just checked. I checked while we were talking to see if Moonfall p- 
potentially got to number one and absolutely not. No. Um, Spider-Man No Way Home is still number one. So we'll either be back when a movie we feel like talking about is number one or if we do an older movie, which was the purpose of this podcast. Um, But we'll be back soon. Sorry for the delay. But hey, you gotta. it's a long episode today. So that's fun. That's true. That makes up for months of silence. Yeah, you can listen to it a few minutes every day. And <laughs> and then uh, and then we will be back by then, I'm sure. Well, that's what we originally intended. Are people not doing that? Well, this podcast is intended to be listened to in 93 second chunks. In 93 um, second chunks. Exactly. We are actually very yes. specific about designing our podcast to mm-hmm. 93 second mm-hmm. increments. If you you can go back through this. Our trains of thought, each a new train of thought begins every 93 seconds exactly. And so if you're not listening to it in 93 second chunks, you're not listening to it correct. You fucked up. You done fucked up. (laughs) You done goofed. You done goofed. All right. All right. Now that we've (laughs) insulted the audience for no reason. Sorry, Uh, listener. (laughs) <laughs> sorry, listener. Sorry, HBO Max. And sorry, Chloe Zhao. Better luck next time. Better <laughs> Make <luck>. Nomadland 2. <laughs> no mandier than ever. <laughs> All right. Is, that, is No Mandy the crossover between Nomadland and Mandy with Nicolas Cage? Yes, and it stars Mandy Moore. <laughs> it's just him running around. <laughs> it's... <laughs> Him chasing Mandy Moore through an Amazon uh, a warehouse with a chainsaw. It's a, yeah, I, I'd watch that. I'd watch that. Would you watch that producer who could give us money to make it happen? Hit us up. Let us write no man dear. Yes. <laughs> toot toot. Toot toot. <laughs>